Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, there was probably more than a few people, my hand is up, that wondered why the Rays would pay the most money ever paid to a free agent in Zach Eflin, $40 million. I think I know why. <laughs> He's pretty good. He is. He's pretty good. He went out there and uh, threw seven innings and bizarrely did not strike out a batter but was so efficient um, that he pretty much shut down, uh, at least for his part, the Toronto Blue Jays. And the Rays take that series uh, three games to one. And, you know, they don't miss. They really don't miss on, on many pitchers, even though when they signed him, if you looked at just the numbers, right, Steve, which don't tell the whole story. But one that, that kind of does is not so much win losses. You know, his ERA was four. I mean, this was not a guy that was a sub, even a sub three ERA guy. Boy, he's been everything they could have hoped for right now. He has absolutely been, um, and particularly with Rasmussen and Springs going down, and Tyler mm-hmm. Glass now hasn't pitched yet this season. Although he's going to pitch Saturday, you've needed him, and and he has come through. I mean, you've got Shane McClanahan now eight and zero. You got Zach Eflin seven and one. I think the Rays have lost two starts for those pitchers total that they've pitched, two games that they mm-hmm. started. Uh, but Zach Eflin has been everything you hoped. Um, you know, you looked at his career numbers and you went, "Why'd they give him forty million? Yeah, like, like, but and and you saw you saw some experts in baseball going, "That seems a lot." But if the Rays are willing to do it, they must know something we don't. <laughs> yeah, and and they sure did. And and Zach Eflin too. His comments yesterday. He and I'm paraphrasing, but mm-hmm. he said he's learned more about throwing the baseball and pitching baseball this season than he has in his entire career. Wow, and that's wow. that's Kyle Snyder. That's the Rays organization. That's you know all the info and, and the analytics they have, and and you know and you wonder why players come to this organization and play better here than elsewhere. Right. And when you hear Zach Eflin say comments like that, you start to figure it out that they're really good at figuring out the little things and how to tinker and how to change this to get this result, et cetera. And, and it's proven out over years, which is why they continue to stay on top of baseball despite the low payroll, despite the lack of high profile, although now they're starting to get some superstars that they've built up from Arena and Franco. But, you know, their success for the last decade, really, um, mm-hmm. you know, has been how do we get the most out of every player? How do we maximize your abilities to help the team win and to help you right. achieve the best you you can be. And, and they are really good at that. Yeah, I mean, it starts with talent, but they've also gotten some guys that, um, you know, had been in the major leagues at, in different roles. I mean, I, I just think of, and it's a shame he has Tommy John now, and this is also part of the story, I suppose. They've had a number of injuries, but um, a guy like Jeffrey Springs, you know, and, and, that's, and that's why players, I think, of all kinds are willing to come here. Um, they'll get some in the latter part of their careers and then they'll be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll get some that have kicked around with various organizations and they'll bring them in here and make some, some adjustments. 
and they're successful. And I think the analytics play a big part of that, uh, a huge part of that, you know. Uh, and then, but I also think Kyle Snyder is the best at what he does. Um, and and it's more than I don't know if you've seen they you know they play inside Rays baseball all the time after games and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Trisha Whitaker does a lot of features and things. I think I've seen Don Zimmer a hundred times. <laughs> I've also seen Kyle Snyder. There's a feature on him mm-hmm. and his pictures talking about him. Um, and as much as ever as anything, obviously he knows you know the pitching game. He knows the the mechanic part of it and and all of that. And he was he was a pitcher himself. Um, both in college and in in, in, uh, in pro baseball, um, but uh, the psychology of it, you know, his ability to get to know these guys, and not as pitchers, but as as humans, and the time he spends just going out to their hometowns in the off season and maybe going fishing or doing whatever, just to get get to get on the same trust level and figure out how each guy. Um, sort of responds, and, and that's the secret of coaching. You know, my dad coached for years, and, and the one thing he did the best that I ever saw was um, he knew that each guy was different, and he knew how to f- sort of dial into that that psyche and bring out the confidence. Some guys you cannot yell at. You know, some guys need a pat on the back. You know, uh, and other guys need a slap across the face, so to speak. Um, <laughs> you got to wake them up somewhat, but. But at the end of the day, and I don't mean that physically, but at the end of the day, um, I think Snyder does a really good job with the, with the uh, communication aspect mm-hmm. of, of being a pitching coach, and I think that's that's big secret of his. Just think back a decade ago for the race. Mm-hmm. You had Joe Madden and Jim Hickey, mm-hmm. and you thought it would never get better here. I, I know. I know what you're going to say. And yeah. now you look at Kevin Cash and Kyle Snyder and Chad Matola, the hitting coach, who mm-hmm. for years we gave Derek Shelton zero credit, the fan base, uh, for a hitting coach. And and you look at the race season this year, and you don't hear a bunch of people ch- patting Chad Matola on the back. No, that's true. And they should. But, you know, you think back, like I said, a decade ago, and, and Joe Madden and Jim Hickey, and, you know, this is the best it'll ever be for race baseball. It's kind of what you was going through your mind. Mm-hmm. Probably we're wrong. Well, I think the longevity is going to prove that mm-hmm. these guys are better because um, I, you know, they've both been to a World Series now. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I think the Rays may win one. This could be their special year. I don't know how the pitching is all going to settle, and there's a long way to go. But um, yeah, I mean, he's already matched sort of. Now, let me say this about that. Okay, now, do, do, they have, two... do they have more players to work with now too? Well, that's all part of it yes. as well. I, I think I think part of that is true. I think this. That, you know, and this kind of is, is sort of a Dungy Gruden analogy, not, not, not necessarily the same thing, but mm-hmm. what, what I'm, what I'm going to say here is this. The culture was, you know, Joe Madden lost 100 games, okay, mm-hmm. his first year. Mm-hmm. And they had no culture. They had not won. They had, I think when you win for the first time, like turning around, you know, the Queen Mary the first time is a little harder until, you know, once you've done it before, you kind of have a blueprint. And that's organizationally, you know. But Madden, at the time he came, right, sort of established a lot of these traditions. A lot a lot of this culture was established with the Rays, with Joe Madden as manager. You know, they all kind of did it together. Andrew Friedman, the front office. Friedman's going to come back for the Dodgers series, by the way. He's going to be in Tampa which is interesting. But I think 
I think that that ownership group, that front office, and Joe Madden, who is not a small part of it, um, in his own unique style, right, with the mm-hmm. flamingos and the snakes in the clubhouse, whatever, um, the road trips, you know, and the themes and all that, I think he helped develop the culture that Kevin Cash benefits from now. Oh, absolutely. Not that Cash hasn't improved on it, because mm-hmm. I think he has. Uh, and they're different dudes, obviously, and they're totally different parts of their career. And, oh, by the way, Joe Madden has a World Series ring with the Chicago Cubs who didn't win in 105 years or whatever. So, so you know, Kevin Cash is still looking for his first. But, yes, uh, there's no question that, that the Cash, um, you know, Snyder regime is every bit, if not more successful overall um, at this point than, than even Joe Madden was. This is not as exciting as when the regular season schedule was released, but nonetheless, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. The Bucks released their preseason schedule, which, of course, those are the games that you will attend before they get to the regular season. And I guess the highlight, if you're sort of a Bucks, maybe if you're a Bucks fan, you're not going to get to see this game unless you go to New York or New Jersey. But uh, they're going to have joint workouts with the New York Jets. This has kind of been in the works for a while. Um, they're going to play the Jets uh, coming up on August 19th, and that is their second preseason game, I believe, not their first. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, uh, they will go up and practice uh, pro- most likely, this hasn't been finalized, but most likely Wednesday the 16th and Thursday the 17th. And that means they're going to be scrimmaging against, in all probability, Aaron Rodgers. So Aaron Rodgers, who they're glad is not in the NFC anymore, I would imagine, um, we'll still have some say about the Buck season, and that'll be good work for them. Uh, and and it's always, you know, I think it's it's also a good defensive team that the Jets have. These things, you know, there's this one less preseason game over the last. They started, you know, reduced it to three a year ago, and uh, because of that, I think these these dual practices or joint workouts are even more important. And the coaches love them. Because unlike games where you can't control whether you have a two-minute drive, you can't control um, if you're going to have a kickoff return. You know, the ball may go in the end zone. Like, there's live game reps, and then there's just situational stuff that you hope comes up in a game, but it, but, but it doesn't always. And so the joint practices allows for both teams to sort of rep those situations, uh, as well as it breaks up the monotony of training camp, and it gives you – sort of a cleaner picture because, you know, after the first two weeks of, you know, just going against your own defense and, and, and the defense seeing their own offense, there's a lot of cheating that goes on. There's a lot of familiarity. And, and so you don't always get the clear picture, whereas you go against a team that hasn't seen you, you can judge them also against other talent. Um, so that'll be fun. But overall, uh, you know, they, they start the preseason August 11th. Uh, they will play Mike Tomlin's Pittsburgh Steelers will be coming down here, and then it's up to the Jets for the August 19th game. Uh, and then they, they wrap it up against the Baltimore Ravens at home, 7 o'clock um, at Raymond James Stadium. The games at Raymond James are at 7. The one in, in New York is at 7.30. So we'll see presumably some that, that last preseason game, we we'll probably see a little bit of Lamar Jackson uh, and uh, Todd Munkin's new offense and all of that. So, Pretty good schedule. Two at home this year, one on the road. I think it was opposite last year, if I'm not mistaken. I yes, because they have the eight road or eight home games this year, nine road games. So you've got two correct. preseason games at home with the 17-week schedule. So. 
Yeah. So those of you who buy season tickets, this will be part of your package, and mm-hmm. um, this now, is what you'll get to see. Before I make my travel plans to New York, mm-hmm. is there still a 28-day window to flex the Saturday game against the Jets to Thursday night football, or are we locked in? I think you're locked in on that one. I think that one is going <laughs> to... That one's going to be preseason week two, so no flexing, no flexing going on except maybe in the end zone when uh, when Rogers scores a touchdown or something. But um, yeah, I, I, that, I'm still not sure how that's going to play out towards the end of the season. I think it's going to be very disconcerting, but it, it it confirms what I know about the NFL, which is they're all about getting paid, and the way you get paid in the NFL is through network partners. And if these network partners are going to pony up millions upon billions of dollars which they do, um, then you're going to keep feeding them the best uh, TV programming you can and to hell with the fans in the stands because that is really not what's paying the freight in the NFL, although useful uh, to certain owners because you get to keep that money uh, and don't have to share all the revenue from your home stadium, although they do, do give some to the visiting team. Um, it's, uh, it's, about, it's about TV, and they will find a way to, you know, the 28-day uh, advance notice, where where it gets sticky and and um, it's not a problem for the league, but it sure is a problem for your your travel secretary or your guy that does the administration part of it. Is you've got hotels booked maybe on a Sunday uh, or a Thursday, say, and then you got to move them. Uh, not always available. <laughs> it's you know when you think about a traveling with a football team, it's it's more than just you know the fifty three players, practice squad, coaches. Um, support staff, like there's literally well over a hundred um, individuals that have to be put up somewhere, uh, and you need meeting rooms too. Like you can't just say, "Hey, uh, we're all going to go outside now and and you know look at the practice film." I mean, so you, you've got to find certain room availability and and hotel availability that that also has fairly large ballrooms because you have to feed these large individuals and everything else. So that's the part to me that is going to be a big headache for a lot of people around the league. If you know, those few teams that are flexed, but it's not a ton of games. It's not a ton of teams. They'll be affected, but the fan base as well. And if you bought tickets months in advance to try to save some money on airfare and you think you're playing on Thursday night and you find out it's Sunday, you know, some of these places you may lose deposits on hotels and different things. So, um, but again, the NFL, they're not going to apologize. That's not what they do. Um, and, you know, if they offer a better product to their for their TV partners or their streaming partners, that's going to eventually go into the players' pockets. You know, I've always said that about Thursday night football. You know, I don't think players I – mean, the dirty little secret is, like, are they good – is it a good product? No, it's not. Um, players' bodies aren't completely recovered. There's no data that suggests that there's more injuries as a result of a Thursday night game. Um, but I think injuries are cumulative. You know what I mean? You start out relatively healthy, and then each week little pieces of you get left around the, the NFL. And so I think not having a full recovery, you may play that game, you may play the next one, you may play the one after that, but eventually um, not having the full recovery catches up to you. However, to a man, if you asked all these players, do you like Thursday night football? Most of them would say, no, I really don't. But what I do like is the fact that we don't practice. You know, and practice is is hard. You know, you put in a lot of work on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, travel Saturday sometimes, um, a lot of film stuff and, and and treatment on Monday. When you get to a Thursday night game, of course, there's just walkthroughs. You're not even you're not you're just trying to get your bodies back 
And so everything you do from a, a game planning standpoint on the grass is just at walkthrough speed. You can't – so physically it's a break in early in the week. Now you're playing a game on Thursday, so that's, that's tough. But then afterwards you have, you know, 10 days before your next game. And here's the thing, and this is how it's all negotiated, right, with the CBA. So, you know, the, the NFL will go to the players' union – when they're doing their CBA and say, hey, we're going to have Thursday night games. How do you guys think about that? Well, what's in it for us? Well, about $150,000 more per player. Every player is going to say, hey, guys, sign me up, man. $150,000 more grand, minimum salary? Heck yeah, let's do it. And that's that's really what it comes down to. You know, more money for the player, more money for TV from TV or streaming partners. Players eventually end up in their hands as well, and um, they're willing to do it. So that's... That's what that's what this is this league has become. All right, we got your mailbag questions coming up. But first we want to tell you how to save money on your electric bill. It's May Electric Solar. They're a family owned business. They've been operating and installing solar electric systems now in the area for thirteen years. A lot of these fly by night companies out there, but I'm telling you, May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. They guarantee their workmanship with a thirty year labor and services warranty. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection. That's for all your appliances. That's what they're calling the May difference. If you visit the Hudson showroom, May Electric displays all their products. They conduct on-site testing. You can see exactly what they're going to install to customize it for your needs. And plus, they don't use subcontractors. That means all those guys up there on those uh, with the solar panels on the roof, those are Billy Mays guys, and you know exactly who's doing the job. Start saving right now, today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate. Lower your electric bill all year long. Preserve those appliances. It's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. All right, we got some mailbag questions today on this Thursday before Memorial Day. Let's get going. And we'll start with a Bucks question here, and Brian asks, how do you see a situation with which the Bucks would trade Devin White during the season potentially? Um. All right. Well, hypo- hypothetically, first of all, I don't think they will. But hypothetically, um, I, I would think trade deadline is usually sometime in October, towards the end of October. Uh, if the Bucks got off to a horrendous, winless start, one win, they're one in five, one in six, and they just felt like you know we're, we're you know say New Orleans is 6-0, and something like that. Um, could they? Would they? Maybe. I'm not, I don't think you ever say ne- never because at the end of the day, um, you're still trying to make a judgment on Devin White. I mean, I think one of the reasons why they're not inclined, well, there's there's several reasons why they're not inclined to just give them him the, you know, the five-year, $100 million deal he's seeking. Um, one of them is we want to see. You know, he's been, while he's been their best player on defense, according to Todd Bowles and others, or one of the two, one of their two best players, one year it was Shaq, one year it was somebody else. Um, I think Winfield's in that discussion. He's not been consistent, not necessarily week to week, and maybe not, uh, you know, year to year. Uh, And so they they want to see what he can do. So... If he were just to say, "I'm going to take the fines," I'm, 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 or I'm not going to get paid. I'm, I'm going to, you know, um, 
sacrifice this money this year. I'm, I'm never playing again for the Bucks. If you decided that because you you were playing without him, okay, and if you decided that you know what, we just we just can't be convinced that he's worth the investment long term anyway, and so therefore we're you know with where we're at as a program, we're probably gonna you know clean house a little bit more. I think you could get to the point where you could talk yourself into saying. Let's see what we can get for Devin White. What if we could get, you know, a couple of high draft picks? Um, and I don't think you'd get a number one for him. But I do think that there's a possibility that you could get, you know, a two and, and say something else. Because teams will know that you're in a bad place with them. So, you know, they could also just wait. But let, let's say Cervacia Dennis, right, who they got in the draft, who's an inside linebacker. So you start the season, and and Cervacier is playing next to Devin White, and he's killing it. You know, or he's playing really, really solid football. Not the speed that Devin White has, maybe not the overall playmaker. Good pass rusher, though, and and a smart, smart player, right? Let's say there's no mistakes. He's covering guys. You know, I could I could paint you a scenario where they go, you know what? This team needs some draft capital. We need to get younger, better, faster, all those things. We're not sure Devin White was going to be our, you know, highest paid, one of our highest paid players after this year anyway. So let's move him in October. That to me is the only way he gets traded. Now, there's a lot of highway between now and then because I think it's going to be really hard for Devin White to sit out. You know, it's easy to do it now because it's OTAs. And quite frankly, you know, a lot of these guys, who have they been led by the last couple of years? Tom Brady. Now, yeah, when Tom, when they had COVID year and it was his first year out in New England, Tom was damn sure going to prove that, you know, he could get it done somewhere else. And so he organized the workouts at Berkeley Prep, um, but there were no OTAs. There was no training camp. So he had to do something, right? He had to get with his new teammates. He didn't know anything. He didn't know the offense. So he had to be taught, really, the first initiation he got was from his teammates. So he did that work. But after that, Tom Brady was – you know, a big anti-OTA guys. He was critical of the union pretty much the whole time he's been in football about it's stupid. Like, they were the only sport. You don't get pitchers together in, in December or late November and have them throw 95 miles an hour. Why are we out here pitching and catching and doing things um, in the dead of summer? And so there are players on this team that listen to Tom Brady too. And, and some of them probably feel the way he did. Because they're veterans, they've been established. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily Devin White's deal, but we didn't. We also didn't see Levante David. We also didn't see Carlton Davis. We didn't see Jamal Dean. Um, we didn't see Mike Evans. Although I was told he was out there the previous week uh, and may may come around again. Um, you know, so so the guys that are, you know, Ryan Jensen's like the cemented older starters in this in, on this team. They didn't come to OTAs. And neither did Devin White. Now, if Devin White doesn't come to the mandatory minicamp uh, in June, June 13th through the 15th, one, he's going to be fined. And two, that's a really bad sign. That's a really bad sign. Um, I would, if as a Bucks fan and even as a Bucks player, and they're not going to say anything because, you know, you don't, you don't know what situation you're going to be in one day either with, uh, you know, with contracts and things like that. Um, but I think... If they get to that point 
they're going to have they'll be at that point they'll be preparing for the regular season and that's where you're going to see like guys like Dennis playing next to Levante David, you know, with the number 1 defense or maybe maybe KJ Britt, which I don't have a great feeling about him per se. Um but this is what this is the same path that Roquan Smith went with the Chicago Bears. He held out of everything, said he wanted to be traded. They didn't trade him. When he got to training camp, he came, so he wasn't fine per se, but I don't know that he participated all that much. He did start, but he did start the season, and he had to play, and he played um, all the while wanting to be traded, and then eventually when they got to the trade deadline, the Bears were kind of out of it, and they got, I want to say they got a two and a four or two and a five, something like that from the Ravens, and and then when he got to the Ravens, that he played his whole year. Here's the irony. He got to the Ravens. They didn't give him a new contract. He played under the fifth-year option, which for White would be 11-7. And then he played so well that when they got to the end of the year, then he got his five million, you know, his five-year $100 million. Well, do you want it from another team or do you want it from the Bucs? Because another team's not going to just, you know, if you've sat out and they don't really know you, they may make the deal and pay the compensation for the draft picks and whatnot. But it's unlikely they're just going to say, hey, we'll give you that sight unseen. We don't know how you're going to fit in our system. So – I don't think it'll go that way, but that's the only scenario is slow start. Um, Cervacci Dennis or somebody like him proves he can play pretty well, and you're not real certain, and there's just no way in your mind you feel comfortable at that point giving White a long-term deal anyway because you're just not certain about his ability or his longevity or whatever. So I think that's the way he gets traded, but I don't think it happens before that. All right, Michael tweeted us. He says, Luke Gedeke projected as a guard in the draft because he lacked the ideal arm length. Were the Bucks that impressed with his performance in a meaningless game against a weak Atlanta pass rush to make him the starting right tackle this season? I don't know if they were that impressed. Um, listen, I, I think one of the failures of this draft, and there, 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 were, there were five tackles that went in the first round. One of them went after the Bucks pick. Um, I think there were four that were considered, you know, elite or worthy of a of a higher first round pick, and they all went before the Bucks. Now, you know, you're not just grading like when you get to the, you, you know your spot in in the draft, you're not just saying, okay, best remaining right tackle, we got to go, you know, take this guy of need because that's our biggest need. You also got to look at the players staring at you, and they really, really like Kalijah Kansi. So Kalijah Kansi trumped the need of of a tackle right and in the back of their minds even before the draft the plan i think had been hey you know we like luke getticke for a lot of reasons we moved him from a right tackle that he played at central michigan not just to guard spot but to left guard so that's you know that that's a double whammy right because left and right matters um, when you're on the offensive line that's why tristan worse is having to make an adjustment to the left side now as tackle. Um, so they moved him uh, to the opposite side. They changed his position. Yes, the the short arms is probably a factor, but don't forget, he was still taken like in the second round. It wasn't like this guy wasn't drafted high. Um, and, he, and by the way, he's played with that arm length his whole life. But I think, I think they feel getting him back to his natural position on the right side at tackle. And yeah, it was a meaningless game. But you know what? Atlanta was playing their regular guys. Uh, they weren't they didn't they didn't, you know, pull their starters. And 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 he played probably one of the better games he's played all season 
with just repping it, you know, one week in practice because it, it was natural to him. Um, it's a projection. You know, the, the key is whether it's youth football all the way up Pee Wee High School all the way, every football coach tries to get their best five offensive linemen on the field in some combination. And if you've got two left tackles, you can't play on both the left tackle. Somebody's got to move inside, you know. But you, you hope that you can get your best five out there. And to them, of the guys remaining, um, Gedeke is one of their best five. That's just what they believe. Now, sometimes it's a GM trying to justify why he took this guy in the second round. But Jason Light has not missed on many offensive linemen. Uh, and he's had success getting them, not that Central Michigan is a small school, but he's gotten them from everywhere, Division three schools, two schools, all that. So I think when it comes to them, you, you're going to have to give like just a little bit of credit and a little bit, have a little bit of patience and say, well, maybe the guy was just out of position. And not to mention, go back and look at the defensive tackles they played the first four weeks. They were all pro bowlers. Uh, that was just the quirk of the schedule, but it's true. So he looked bad, and he got hurt, and, and they kind of made do with other players. But that's that's all they have. Like, there's not a lot of great options. If you want to get their, your best five on the field right now, they believe, and the offensive line coaches believe that Gedeke's one of the best five. So he's going to play. He's going to try to to play uh, right tackle, and I, I think I think they're fairly confident he'll hold up there. We'll see. We'll see how Worfs does at left tackle because you're moving him too, and he's not going to be perfect. Um, although he played three of those games in college, and I think. You know, his skill set is so good that I think they're confident he can do it. It's also a different blocking scheme. You know, it's hard to judge guys based on last year because they're not they're not running the same offense. You're going to see, and we just got a glimpse of the offense the other day in OTAs, every play looks like an outside, uh, what we saw anyway. So many plays look like outside zone runs where it's, you know, going to be a toss, an outside run, uh, the linemen are moving in, in tandem, in concert. The running back is, you know, putting his foot in the ground and, and, and picking a lane to run through, or he's bouncing it outside, whatever. And so, you know, the, the athleticism will now take over. Um, so it's not going to be as, as much man blocking, maybe, as we're, as we're used to seeing. So, so there's different things you can do. You know, Gedeke is a pretty good athlete. I mean, he, he, he's got some. He's got some feet. You know, he's got some wheels, and I think most of the guys on our offensive line can move. So they're just going to be different, right? So you, I think you just have to trust their evaluation. Or do they know? No, they don't know, and he's going to have to go out and prove it. Um, but I wouldn't get hung up in his garment. I would say whatever, whatever limitations he's had as a football player, he still has. But he's going to be way more effective. He's, he's going to be the best version of himself playing the position that he's always played, which is right tackle. All right, Steve had tweeted us. He says, have we seen the last of Byron Leftwich as a coach in the NFL? I certainly hope not. Um, and I don't think we have. No, he wasn't hired this cycle, right? Um, but... It was only a year ago or so he really was considered a, a, a top candidate for the head coaching job in Jacksonville. I'm sure Jacksonville feels very happy with what they did and who they got. I'm not saying they don't. Um, unfortunately for Byron, you know, he came in um, with with Bruce Arians. And so now, no matter what, 
right? He knew one offense. Bruce knew one offense. That's the offense they were going to run. Okay. Has it gotten a little stale? Uh, a little team's a little too used to it. Sure. But, but go back and look at the production that they had when, whether, you know, just in terms of like passing, touchdowns, scoring. 30 points a game is hard to get in this league. It's, it's just hard to do. Uh, I don't care who, who's back there at quarterback or who you have personnel wise. To score 30 points a game is an accomplishment. They did it every year with Byron. Um, and the numbers they put up, the 5,000 yards. Now, you know, he got the greatest quarterback on the planet, and they had to slowly morph their offense into stuff that Tom was more comfortable doing, which is what you should do. But even though Bruce did not game plan, and he told people this, is like, I didn't, I didn't even go in that room. Like, I would see the play sheet, and I'd make suggestions. I didn't redline things. But I'd say, hey, we, we should probably try to do this more. I mean, what about this? But it was always Byron. Byron and Tom. Byron and Tom. And they did some good things. They really did. Now, one of the things they couldn't do was run the football last year. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, and I don't think it was all Byron. One of the things that Todd Bowles got really upset about is the lack of attempts. They were last in the league in rushing attempts. But if you're a play caller in the National Football League and your job is to score points, and you go out there and you run the football and you can't average more than 3.5, 3.4 yards a, a play, which was last in the league, it's hard to beat your head against the wall when you have the greatest player of all time at quarterback, right? What are we doing? We're not, we're not going to use him. We're going gonna to take the ball out of his hands. Now, Tom wanted to run the ball more too. But second and nine and third and eight is not a good place to put your, your, your quarterback in. It's not a good position. So they had to do something. And the one fault I would, I would say that, that you know, where Bowles was wrong is rather than take ownership of that as the head coach and say, my team's going to run the football. He talked about it a lot, talked about it in the offseason, talked about playing complimentary football, all this stuff. You know, Defensive coaches tend to want to run it more because it protects their defense. That's just the way they think. Um, and that's the way Todd Bowles is. And we heard all this stuff about how Tom and him see, how, and see the game the same way, which meant we're going to run it more. Well, they didn't. And, you know, from my understanding, rather than, you know, Bowles is running the defense, and it's fine to let your coaches coach. But if you're the head coach, you can certainly go in that offensive meeting room and say, guys, we're calling more runs. We're calling more runs, or we're going to, I'll find somebody to call more runs. Like, you have that authority over Byron. Instead, again, from my understanding, Bowles would, you know, canvas the, the various assistants and say, you got to fix this. You go up to people that weren't the coordinator and say, you got to fix this. Fix what? I'm not the coordinator, man. You're the head coach. You fix it. I mean, you know, just because you're a defensive call, play caller doesn't mean you don't have authority over the offense. You do. And I'm all for letting guys coach. So with Dave Canales coming from Seattle, um, they're going to run the football more. But I don't blame Byron because Byron knew one offense, and it was B.A.'s offense, okay? Not for everybody, but again, I challenge you to go back and look at the production, the points, the yards. Points win in this league, and they won. Um, they turned it over a hell of a lot with, with Jameis Winston, but where's Jameis Winston now? Was that the offense or was that the player? I think it was the player. So, you know, I think Byron can coach, and I hope he gets his chance 
And maybe as some of these Bucks assistants that worked under Arians, right, whether it's Larry Foote or, you know, other guys go through and maybe they get a head coaching job somewhere and they bring Byron with them. Um, there's a lot of relationships in the NFL that Byron has. I hope he gets a chance to do it again. I think he wants to, and I think he's earned it. Uh, it didn't happen this cycle, you know, and that's fine. But he certainly deserves to, to have more opportunity because he, he, you know, he did some things. But there's not a ton of African-American play callers out there, to be, to be frank. And Arians is the one that brought Byron off the golf course, you know, when he wasn't coaching for five or six years, he was playing golf, and got him into it. And, and he's proven he can be pretty successful at it. So I hope he gets his shot. All right, Pete asked, was Tom Brady ever offered limited, limited ownership by the Glazers? I, I don't have a factual answer to give you with that, but I think I'm right when I tell you no. <laughs> and, I, and categorically, there, there's a couple reasons why I believe that. One is just the relationships I have in and around Byron or Tom Brady and back to Byron, Tom Brady and, and the people that, that are with him that would know. Um, the other part of this to me is that Tom Brady has made no secret at all around the league, uh, around the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks had him every day in there, right? That he wanted part ownership. He wanted to be a part-time owner. And, and there was no more public acknowledgement of that than the very fact that year two, the week of the Philadelphia playoff game and the wildcard game, which they won over Jalen Hurts, Tom Brady was talking actively, you know, to Bruce Beal, who was a minority owner with Miami Dolphins, about ownership of the Dolphins. And how do we know this? Well, because the Dolphins were given sanctions for tampering with Brady at that very that very time. Now Beal is also on the board of TB12, so there's a relationship there. He went to Michigan. He knows Brady, and there's no bigger Michigan booster, obviously than Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins. But it cost the Dolphins a pick, first-round pick. And so, you know, if ever the Glazers had a doubt that what Tom Brady was seeking, that was it. And and it was very public, and they knew it. And I suspect he probably made no secret of it because he had a really good relationship with the Glazers. Here's what I'll say about the Glazers. And, and frankly, here's what I'll say about most owners in the NFL. They're not looking to give away, uh, per se, a piece of the pie. I mean, especially in a family, and it's a family business, right, where you have, what, four or five brothers and one one sister um, and, and the mom, Linda, you know, who essentially, that's that's your ownership group. They each kind of have an equal share or, or one, you know, most of them are, are listed as co-chairmen. Um, so they make decisions together uh, within that family. It's a family business, if there ever was one. And I don't see them inviting people outside the family uh, to be part of that. And, and, and I'm not blaming them for it. I don't think it's unusual. But the Glazers certainly were aware that Tom Brady wanted some ownership of a pro sports team and, and an NFL team, and he was willing to do a lot of things for that. You know, I think he was willing to play quarterback for another franchise, including Miami. We know that he was trying to get down there with Sean Payton. 
How do we know this? Well, the lawsuits. Um, you know, and so I don't know specifically what conversations, if any, were held with the Glazers, with Tom. I'm not surprised that the Glazers wouldn't consider it, or or at least if they did consider it, decided not to do it. Um, because I I just think that's how they operate. You know, they it's it's a family business. Um what possessed Mark Davis, you'd have to ask him. But, you know, it doesn't hurt any organization to have a guy like Tom Brady representing you, whether that's in the front office or, you know, as an owner or with your sponsors or, you know, there's a number of different roles he can perform, especially when he has a stake in the outcome. Um, And the interesting thing, (laughs) my wife was texting me this today, so Jimmy Garoppolo, did you see where he had surgery in the offseason on his ankle that nobody knew about? Mm-hmm. So they went to OTAs and Jimmy ain't playing. Everybody's like, yo, where's Jimmy, man? They had Jimmy had surgery. Ah, okay. Now Jimmy Garoppolo is perpetually hurt, okay? That's been his career, you know, all but two seasons. And if you're the Raiders and you're banking it all on Jimmy Garoppolo, well, first of all, when Jimmy goes to work, the best quarterback with the organization is not him. It's now the guy in the front office. It's not front office. It's now the guy that's the minority owner, Tom Brady. But could you see a scenario where Tom Brady, part owner, becomes owner, part slash quarterback? It would be difficult because I think it would require the other owners in the league to approve it, and I can't see Clark Hunt agreeing to that <laughs> with the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know how many you have to have. Um, but... It is interesting that, uh, you know, Josh McDaniels is the head coach. He knows the offense. you got a quarterback who's not ready to play. We'll see what happens. We'll see. But, no, I, I, don't, I don't know, and I, and I suspect that it was probably looked at, um, maybe discussed internally. I don't know that Tom approached the Glazers about it specifically. But they were well aware of what he was seeking, and they opted, as far as I know, uh, not to make that dream come true here. Um, and so far, Mark Davis was the only one that did it. And, and by the way, from my understanding, the Dolphins and the Raiders aren't the only teams that he was making aware of this desire. I think it was a fairly well-known deal that Tom Brady was seeking ownership of an NFL team or part ownership of one. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. All right, Matt tweeted. He says, with all the talk about who should be in the Bucks' ring of honor, what about Gene Deckerhoff? When you think of big Bucks plays in history, it's always his voice you hear. Um, I'm a big Gene guy. I like Gene a lot. Know him very well. Think he's been terrific. Still on the mic for the Bucks. And I'm... This isn't really media. I mean, he's he's not. I mean, as much as like he's the play-by-play guy, 
but he's he's in broadcasting. And even in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, like whether you're a writer or a broadcaster, we have our own sort of separate awards. You know what I'm saying? Like used to be the McCann Award. Now it's named after another guy, a scout that were the writer. Jim Trotter just won. This this he was just uh, he's going to go into Canton. Um, you don't get a bust. You know you're on a plaque and that sort of thing. But you're honored. You're you're now a Hall of Fame Pro Football Hall of Fame writer, right? Or there's, a, there's also one for broadcasting. You're a Pro Football Hall of Fame broadcaster. I just feel like there's us and then there's them. And even though Gene is, is, is an integral part of the organization, I'm not against it. If, if they said tomorrow Gene Deckerhoff's going in the ring of honor, I would have no problem with it, personally. Um, I'd say great. But I, per, but, but I believe, and I haven't talked to Bucks about this, I believe that what's on the rim of that stadium, what's on the wall of that stadium, should be people who actively affected the outcome of those games and represented the organization from a football perspective. And not that Gene's not a part of it. Again, he's a huge, he's the voice of the Bucks. You're right. Every highlight for how many years now, you know, touchdown Tampa Bay, touchdown Tampa Bay, we got the football, all that stuff. How would they know when to fire the cannons if he didn't tell them? (laughs) True. You think he has the button or he just makes the command? (laughs) Fire the cannons. The irony is when he says that, they're already being fired. If you really listen to it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm okay if they do it personally, if I was on the committee, I would say, Hey, let's have a little bit of a cutoff. Let's have a little bit of separation of church and state name the press box after him, name the microphone after him. Right. Um, do what they did with Dave will. I mean, you know, there's things you can do to honor you know, the Ven Scully's of the world, um, I don't know that you have to put him in the ring of honor next to, say, Leroy Selman or Warren Sapp. It seems awkward to me. Head coach, absolutely. Monty Kiffin, sure. Right? Those guys affected what happened on the product on Sunday. Gene was just observing it, calling it, the voice of it, sure. But I, I think it's it's different. Like, it's, And I've never... I've always understood this. You know, it, it is close... I've had many relationships with players... Lots of relationships with coaches. I travel with them. I stay in the same hotels. Hell, sometimes they even flew on the same planes. I never, never confused uh, what my role was. And I don't work for them, obviously. That's, they don't sign my paycheck. Um, so there's that. But there's also this thing that, like, there's them. Like, you get a clear understanding when you're around them. There's them, and then there's everyone else. <laughs> and um, and Gene is part of the organization. He's he's more them than than anybody would be that's outside of football. But if you're just asking me personally, I would probably, if I was on a committee, I'd say, hey, it's coaches, it's players, um, that sort of thing, and everybody else will find a way. You know, we can name a press box after him. We can name, you know, we can do a lot of things to honor him and make him a permanent part of the organization. Um, and, and observe his greatness. But I don't know that the Ring of Honor is the way to do that. All right. Note to self, remove Rick Stroud from Ring of Honor ballot. Thank you. <sighs> there was never a chance that I would be in the <laughs> Ring of Honor. That's okay. That's fine. I'm good with it. I'll be fine. But if C.J. Stroud had come here, okay, think about this now. If C.J. Stroud had somehow been drafted here and hit it big, and become a Ring of Honor player, 
What if it just said Stroud on the press box or on the ring of honor? Wouldn't that be impressive? I could just pretend. I got no shot at a verse Nick ever being up there, so. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. All right, we'll wrap up on this today, and then uh, we'll save. Uh, we got a couple rays and uh, lightning ones so we can save for next week. But uh, right. Les had asked, I saw the teams can now keep three quarterbacks active on game days. Any idea who that might be, assuming it's Baker and Trask as one and two for the Bucks? Yes, we do have an idea, and they just recently signed him. It's John Wolford, and he's right now the smartest quarterback in the room because he knows the offense. Uh, it's you know there's a lot of carryover from the Rams offense. Obviously, he played uh, for Sean um, out there in L.A. and um, you know I I never understood. You know, there was a time when you had the quote-unquote inactive third quarterback, but he always was in uniform. And, in fact, the way the rules were, okay, 53-man roster, 47 dressed, or 46 dressed, and 47, there was an inactive third quarterback that dressed. And so if you got the starter hurt uh, and then the backup came in, right, um, you know, that other guy was there in case you needed a third quarterback. He was there and ready to go. Now, if you got the starter hurt and you and you bypass the backup for some reason and you put in the the, the the inactive third quarterback, now the number two guy couldn't play, right? So it was an emergency type deal. You could play him, but if you played him ahead of the backup, you know, if you played your once you play your inactive guy, he's the last quarterback you could play. So you got to keep that card in the deck, so to speak. But it was so such a bad image for the NFL a year ago. When we know all the injuries that the 49ers had at quarterback, right, with Garoppolo, um, with Trey Lance, and then they finally get Brock Purdy, um, and, you know, he takes them, wins seven in a row, whatever, and they get all the way to the championship game. And because they've had some injuries, um, Josh Johnson is their backup, and hadn't been there very long. And they, you know, Purdy gets hurt. And I blame Shanahan for it. No, I don't know how many people have. I, I just think that he was unsound in some of the schemes and protections or lack of protections, and he got his quarterback hit way too much, and eventually he got hurt. Well, you know who else got hurt? Josh Johnson. So here we are in an NFC Championship game where under normal circumstances, the Niners, and that was going to be a great game. I mean, they're you know the best teams in the NFC. And you had to play essentially Christian McCaffrey in sort of a wildcat to finish the game. That was that was reprehensible, you know, to to play a whole season and not have an actual quarterback in the game because why? Not not that you're not paying another quarterback. You can you know, most teams have or a lot of teams have three quarterbacks, or if they don't, they have a practice squad guy. But like you're paying the guy during the week, you just couldn't put him in uniform. Never made sense. So they're going back to it now, where you can have that inactive third quarterback in uniform, ready to go, um, and. It's it's a direct result of of the postseason of the playoff game, and I'm glad they're doing it. And the the question will be now: Will the Bucks eventually sign a fourth guy to put on the practice squad in case you get an injury somewhere along the line, uh, and everybody moves up one? But uh, I think they're pretty set as far as the three guys you will see if they play three this year will be Mayfield, Trask, and Wolford, probably in that order. Um, and then we'll we'll just see if there's an injury where they bring somebody else support. By the way, Josh Johnson, with his 14th team, 14th team drafted by the Bucks in the sixth round many, 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 many years ago, 
with the Ravens now for the third time. Which hat Incredible. will he wear in the Hall of Fame on his bus? <laughs> you know what? There should be a place for this guy in the Hall of Fame. The, the most the most organizations played for of any NFL quarterback. It's it's incredible. And I remember Josh because um when uh, uh my wife's company represented NFL players back in the day when she first started working there, he was part of their first draft class. And he came out of the University of San Diego, not San Diego State, University of San Diego and was coached by John Harbaugh. Or jo- or not John Harbaugh, uh John's with the Ravens. Jim um, Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh. And therefore, that's why he's such a smart guy. Picks up systems, really cerebral quarterback, knows he's played in every system now. Um, and and you think about longevity and how a guy is still getting jobs after 14 seasons. Hadn't necessarily put much on tape as far as games go. But there is a role for him. You know, they, again, I've always said this. They just don't give those jobs away. I can't go out there and get this job for you know because they like me. You have to be able to actually play. And Josh can still get it done. He's a quick study, and hey, he's off to the Ravens. All right, great questions, all answered 100% correctly. Or your money back. We'll have some more of your mailbag questions next week. We need to you. We apologize. Uh, the Rays begin a series against the Los Angeles Dodgers. That is a treat if you're a Rays fan. I expect there to be big crowds on hand for two of baseball's best teams. Of course, last time these two teams met uh, in the World Series, it was pretty exciting. So it could be an exciting series as well. Tyler Glass now it, returns Saturday. Yeah. Don't you think that's going to be an off-the-chain? Uh, they Maybe they'll open the upstairs for that one. That that, that should be an off-the-chain type uh, of uh I'll let you know because I'll be there, so. Oh, that's awesome. And, of course, it's uh, Memorial Day weekend. So have a, a safe and uh, and great weekend. Remember those uh, that what the weekend is for is to remember those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom, um, which we, we do not take for granted. And so keep them in your minds and their families as well. And, and especially be safe. Be safe if you're out there um, doing your cookouts or barbecue and, and different things. By the way, there is a difference, okay? What most of you will do is a cookout, not a barbecue. A barbecue, you have to prepare meat and food in advance with sauces and various things. Mm-hmm. If you're just doing cook- hamburgers and, and, uh, and steaks and, and, and hot dogs, that's a, you're going to a cookout. You're not going to a barbecue. Um, I agree with a lot of people about this. This has been like a thing of late. Mm-hmm. So. I'll be barbecuing um, ribs over the weekend. So but you're definitely going to a barbecue then. You're going to have a barbecue. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. And because we're going to have cookouts or barbecues, uh, we will be back on Tuesday. We're going to observe Memorial Day with our family as well. So uh, no Sports Day Tampa Bay on Monday. We're going to observe the holiday, and we will see you guys Tuesday on Sports Day Tampa Bay. Enjoy the weekend. Be safe. For Steve Ersnick, I'm Rich Stroud the Tampa Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. 